Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 15 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast. Brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? This week's guest, Mike Gugino, plays in the Steep Candy Rangers, also plays with Steve Martin, or the Steep Candy Rangers, back up Steve Martin. And uh, it's a great, great episode, and a great lore story during this episode, too. So uh, I'm looking forward to you hearing that. Um, I teased this a little bit last week. In December, I'm going to head up to Nashville, the uh, 19th or the 20th, and I'm going to sit down with Jenny Lynn Gardner and Jared Walker, and we are going to do kind of a, uh, a, uh, a part two podcast with them both. And if you guys have any questions that you'd like to ask them or any tunes, we're going to pick a couple songs actually as well. So if you have any fiddle tunes that you would like to hear played, go to mandolinsofbeer.com, go to the contact form and shoot me a message. And I'll see if I can either get the questions answered or the tunes played. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's going to be, it's going to be exciting. So, uh, Looking forward to doing that up there in December. Love Nashville. Of course, I'm going to have to go to Carter's and and, and Groon's there to check out some mandolins. Um, hats are in. I will have pictures up on the website Wednesday or Thursday. They're 20 bucks. They look great. No shipping. And with the holidays coming up, great gift for that mandolin lover, you know. There's shirts, koozies, and stickers as well. Again, all that at mandolinsandbeer.com. Please be sure to follow me on the Instagram and the Facebooks. Um, share this, subscribe to this podcast. That would be great. Go to the uh, Spotify playlist. More tunes added this week from this podcast. So that's growing every week as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. And um, let's get into the podcast with Mike. Uh, You guys have yourselves a great week. And again, be sure to drop me a line if you have any questions that you want to ask Jared or Jenny Lynn or myself or any tunes you want to hear played during that podcast. All right, everybody. Cheers. All right. Now I'd like to welcome to the Mandolins and Beer podcast, Mike Gugino. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Uh, especially taking the time today. You are on tour currently, you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. We're on the road. We're up in beautiful Frederick, Maryland tonight and uh, just getting ready for the show. Awesome. And you're calling from underneath the stage, you were saying. I am. I, I tried to find the quietest place I could find, but nice. I'm underneath the stage. I'm not sure that's the quietest place, but there's oh, no one around. That's awesome. How long of a, how long of a, is a big run of dates you're on? Well, we, we kind of tour um, sort of year round. Um, we, we do take most of the month of December off, but we, the, our band typically tours all year round. So we don't, we don't ever go out for like two or three, four weeks at a time, but we kind of go out a few days every week, you know, and come sure. home and everybody's got, everybody's got families. We've got a lot of kids in the band. And oh, great. So it's, uh, yeah, we, we try to have a, we call it a sustainable schedule as much as possible. So. <laughs> well, it's, I, I mean, it's nice to have that. And it's, it's obvious you guys have worked to get that sustainable schedule as well. You know, it's a well-earned, you know, change of pace for you guys, I would imagine. Well, it's, it's nice. I mean, we, one of the things that's allowed us to do that is we, we bought our own tour bus a couple of years ago and we have our own driver. And, um, so we can just kind of tour and go out whenever we need to and, and not kind of based on like, okay, we're going to lease this bus. So we've got to lease it for two weeks at a time or whatever, you know, we can, it gives us a little bit more flexibility, which is nice. But I mean, we're actually busier and playing more shows now than I think we ever have. No kidding. Um, which is which is great, you know, and, and and we love it. It's just doing we're doing so so many different kind of got so many irons in the fire that's uh, it's keeping us pretty busy. 
Yeah, we should talk about those irons in the fire here, actually, before we before we get into some mandolin talking about you. But you guys have a um, one of the things I've noticed when when researching, you know, I've always been familiar with y'all, but I never realized how many albums you guys actually have out and of all original material of the Steep Candy Rangers you were saying. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, that is that is right. Yeah, I'm 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 blessed as a as a mandolin player and um, to be in a band with great songwriters and uh, particularly Graham Sharp, our banjo player writes the majority of our material and he's just a really prolific and great songwriter. And, and then of course doing the shows with Steve Martin, Steve, all those albums are all of his original music as well. And and they're just great songs. And it's, it's really fun to, to work, work those tunes up with those guys. That's awesome. So, but uh, speaking of tunes, you have a few albums within, I would say, probably the next twelve months. It, this yeah. month, this month coming out, you have the North Carolina Songbook. That's right. That's right. That's a that's a live album of songs we did by North Carolina songwriters, um, and we performed the show at Merle Fest. So it's just a live. It's our set for Merle Fest, basically from this from this year, two thousand nineteen. Oh, cool! Yeah, I saw the video for Blue Monk, which is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that's really really good. Thanks. That that was fun. You know, I wanted every, we kind of, with that project kind of, you know, asked everybody to kind of bring a tune to the, to the, to the group that, you know, they thought would be good. And, um, you know, we knew, we knew we needed, we'd like to have one instrumental and, you know, and I kind of write instrumentals for the band. That's typically been my role in in the Rangers. And um, obviously I wasn't going to write something, but I, I was trying to think of a good cover and I didn't want it to be a bluegrass mandolin tune or something people had heard. And, you know, I thought, you know, Thelonious Monk's from North Carolina, and and I've always, I've always thought that that, you know, that blues tune would sound cool. Like, what if Bill Monroe had met Thelonious Monk, and you know, what what would that have sounded like, or what if he'd heard Thelonious Monk and said, oh, I'm gonna play that on the mandolin, and so it's kind of going for that kind of thing. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I'll and I'll um uh when I post a podcast here in a few weeks, I'll put a link to that so people can check that video out really easily as well. So it's oh, worth the view for sure. And then you have the album with the uh the Asheville Symphony, which is coming out in February. Yeah, I believe that comes out in February and that's sort of a sort of a retrospective. It's it's not any new material. It's all songs from our past records and we just kind of pulled together songs that we had charts for we we've been doing these symphony shows over the last few years um which has been a really great experience and um it's it's a really it's really cool to hear your songs all of a sudden with a full symphony orchestra behind it. it's really neat and uh so we picked our favorite ones and uh and, and made a record with the Asheville symphony there in Asheville North Carolina and uh it was turned out really cool and you did be still moses that's the single off of that yeah, yeah. So be still, Moses. With boys to men. <laughs> yes, I know that sounds like a sounds like a joke or <laughs> something, but yes, it's uh, with boys to men. So I'm 
somehow that happened. Yeah. So how did that happen? That's I, I was I was telling you before we started. I get you know people know I love mandolin and I have all sorts of music friends. Not everybody plays bluegrass and and that was I got that video sent to me by more people than anything in the last year. I would say because it's so cool <laughs> and it's like such a weird mash of worlds. How did that come about? Yeah, it is. It's such a weird mashup, but it man, it totally works those guys were so amazing and i think you're talking about the video from the the Shermerhorn uh concert hall in yes. nashville we did it we did a they they invited us to come sing that song on their show with them which was really kind of them we happened to be in nashville the same week they were they had their show um in nashville we were working at southern ground on a new record and uh they asked us to come do that song with them but it worked you know and it just worked out really great with the timing but so the producer of the of the record, Michael Silvern, um, he he lives in Asheville, but he's he's like a New York and LA guy, and he's produced lots of uh, records um, out, definitely outside of the the bluegrass or Americana world that we're in. And uh, you know, he he thought that "Be Still Moses" because it's a sort of a gospel thing, a uh, lot of lot of voices. It would be cool to add some some guest artists, and he threw out some really big names, some really cool names. And one of them was Boys to Men, and uh, we were just kind of like, "Wow, really? Can you you think you can get them to do it?" And he's like, "Well, I know their manager. I'm gonna gonna ask them." And uh, so we we asked them. Um, we we had already recorded the track and did our vocal parts and everything, and we sent the track to their to their team, and they listened, and the guys said that they would love to be a part of it. They they loved it. That's <laughs> and awesome. So, so they did it, and uh, and then we got to play play it play it live with them at their show um just this past month so it's really cool yeah it's a great video and those guys anybody who i mean especially in the bluegrass world with harmony vocals you guys have really good harmony vocals as well and i think anybody if they're not even familiar with them you know some of their songs might not be somebody's style of music but their vocal harmonization is incredible it, it's amazing and they were they were really professional and really like learn the parts that they you know worked on the parts they wanted to to sing and then when they did the live show they were rehearsing it at sound check and really trying to you know dial it in and get it just right and and they were so nice and generous and it, it and it worked you know it was it was somehow it worked with a you know the the two different genres coming together it happened yeah that's great <laughs> so funny my middle school self thinks it's very funny <laughs> yeah <I bet. laughs> and then and then and you guys are currently now working on a new album on top of all these releases coming out you have a new album coming out and you're hoping it'll be out next year yeah yeah so we've been uh like i said we were in nashville and we're, we're still we've got one more i think one more session we're gonna do coming up i'm working at southern southern ground uh, studios which is a great studio in nashville and um yeah and it's all all original stuff whole new new album of original tunes that, that graham has written and uh some of the other guys too so we're we're, we're real excited about um everything that's happening going on with uh, all these all these new recordings it's fun we're playing a lot of new music at the shows too which is it's always nice to freshen up the set with these new songs oh man i bet how do you uh with so many albums like how do you go about even doing a set list you know it's it's got to be difficult yeah you know um we try to mix it up um as much as possible i mean we don't try to play a completely different set you know some some bands you know like i don't know more like jam bands or whatever we try to play like a different completely different set every night we mm -hmm. don't 
do that per se, but we do try to mix it up and change the, the, the starters and the closers. And, um, you know, we just, we, we just try to make the, the set have a, have a form, have a shape, have some, some peaks and valleys. And, um, we always bring it down to like a one microphone moment in the, in the middle or, or toward the end somewhere. And, uh, you know, things like that. But, um, it, it is nice having more options though, now that we have so many, songs it's nice to be able to try different songs and see how they work in the set well so what got you into mandolin how did you how did you start that journey <laughs> man i it's funny i came i came to it pretty late um as far as like when you when I, I don't know when you think about most like bluegrass musicians it seems like they they all started when they were kids you know like they yes. had in family. <laughs> their, their mom or their dad played or they had a family band or something you know and that that, that wasn't the case for me i played music my entire life uh, started when I was in elementary school with piano lessons, like a lot of kids do and did that. And then was in band um, in middle school and high school, even playing the saxophone. Oh, cool. And was, and took that very seriously. You know, I, I thought I was going to go to college and be a music major playing the saxophone, but then I also was playing guitar, started playing guitar in high school. We had this local, um, guitar teacher um who was the professor at brevard college as well that played classical and jazz guitar and so i kind of got into that at the same time and and then i was playing you know i was in high school and i was into like led zeppelin and pink floyd and nirvana and you know i was playing electric guitar too and had like a rock band with my friends and actually mike that plays drums uh in the steve candy rangers now was one of my best friends growing up and he was the drummer in my high school rock and roll band. So oh, we've been wow, playing nice. music together. Yeah. For a long time. And, um, you know, I ended up, go- I actually ended up going to college as a music major, as a guitar major doing classical guitar and jazz guitar. And, um, while I was doing that, I, I, I met these guys from Kentucky and one played the banjo, one played the fiddle. And, you know, I grew up in Western North Carolina, which is the, you know, it's definitely a big bluegrass and old time music hub, but I never really, I'd always heard it, but I never really paid much attention to it because I was playing other styles of music. And mm-hmm. these guys um, were, would always have their their banjos and fiddles and would play at parties and get-togethers and stuff. And I was like, man, that's so cool. I just I thought it was really, really neat what they were doing. And uh, very, and it looked really hard to me, too. <laughs> yeah. um, but, it, but it seemed real fun, you know. And I was just kind of... I was kind of getting burnt out on what I was doing. And I was like, that looks fun. I want to do that. And so I was would bring my guitar and, you know, do that. And I didn't know, didn't know what I was doing at all, you know, because I'd never played bluegrass before, but they gave me some, some records to listen to. And, uh, and I just kind of fell in love with, with the music after listening to some, some bluegrass albums. And, uh, and, and when I started listening to the music, I started realizing that I, I really liked the mandolin and what the mandolin was doing and, and the bluegrass band. And, uh, so I bought a mandolin when I was 19 and, uh, and I've, that's what I've played ever since. That is so. What were the, what were the albums? Do you remember? I, I do remember actually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really cool. Like I think a lot of musicians they remember like that that one album or whatever that that got them hooked. And they gave me Manzanita. Sadie and I shot her down Went back home Got in the bed A 44 pistol under my head I wake up the next morning about They gave me um, 
Aerial playing John Hartford. Yeah. Oh, well, I drift went away on steam-powered aeroplane. Went in the state and I damn near didn't come back again. I didn't go very fast on a steam-powered aeroplane. Oh, the wheel went around and up and down and inside and then back again. Sitting in a 747 just watching them clouds roll by. Can't tell if it's sunshine or if it's rain, hey, hey. Rather be sitting in a deck chair high up over Kansas City. On a genuine, old-fashioned, authentic, steam-powered aerial plane. They gave me seldom seen live at the cellar door. Classic. Where labor camps were filled with worried men with broken dreams. California cotton fields, as close to wealth as daddy ever came. You know, and those those three there were like the first ones that I heard. And then and then I remember there were these like compilation discs that I found like maybe in the at like the local music store in like the dollar bin or something. It was like rounder compilation, like hand picked 25 years of bluegrass. And then another one was called like class of 1990. Yeah. And the, yeah. And, and, and they had you know, so many artists in the bluegrass world that we know, you know, Ricky Skaggs and the Del McCurry band, and of course, Tony Rice and um, just pretty much everybody that was, you could think of. And, uh, and I just fell in love with, with all, and, but, you know, did research and found who all, who all these individual artists were. And of course, started buying CD, it was CDs at the time. And, uh, and just, man, God, I just fell in love with it and, and really got into it. That's great. Manzanita, what a Sam Bush has been brought up like, you know, on every one of these podcasts that is that he's like, he's the gateway. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, you know, in that record, I think Sam plays mandolin. David Grisman plays on one tune. tune, Maybe Skaggs plays mandolin on, on some of it too. Yeah. Yep. You know, and then of course the, the John Hartford, as I listened to more John Hartford, just besides area playing, um, you know, Sam's playing on some of that stuff too. And then you realize that all these guys have played together and, um, and I, I did notice that Tony Rice seemed like this, this common thread between all of these bands that I liked and the Tony Rice unit and the David Grisman quintet and, and, you know, and, 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 uh, Oh, another album that, that they gave me was, um, fly through the country, um, Newgrass revival. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, and, and I, which I can't find anymore. I keep looking for it. Um, to I, lo- I don't have my copy of it anymore, and oh no, I can't seem to find a copy of that record anywhere. But, but that's a great record. So good, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember like maybe the first song that you that you tackled as a mandolin player, where you sat down and learned it? And you're like, oh gosh, I got it. Oh man, gosh, I, you know, I don't. You know, I remember I remember one of the first bluegrass songs that I that I really loved and the guys that I just happened to have around me were playing was Old Home Place off of the uh JD Crow and the mm-hmm. New South record. Yeah. And you know, and that that uh that break that Ricky Skaggs plays on there and and B flat, I think. Mm-hmm. It was just you know, at the time that's it just seemed like daunting. I'll never be able to how does he do that, you know? And <laughs> yeah. um but it was one of the first, you know, kind of hard little mandolin breaks that I learned how to play.
it's just a classic tune. Yeah, you know, it's 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 timeless. And that and, and JD Crow and, and that whole that record, some some of those songs like are when at the time when they came out, they were really unique for bluegrass. They weren't just like your typical bluegrass songs, but that was one of the first bluegrass records I ever heard. And I thought, well, this is what bluegrass is. I love this. It's <laughs> yeah. so cool. These songs are so unique. And you know, and, and we the Rangers, you know, we we kind of all learned how to play bluegrass together none of us all of them have a similar story to me in that we all started playing bluegrass when we got to college and not before that and so we kind of went backwards we kind of heard the less traditional stuff you know old and in the way even like the grateful dead and old and in the way And, and then worked our way back to like Newgrass and J.D. Crow and stuff like that. And then eventually found, oh, Bill Monroe and Flatten Scruggs and the Stanley Brothers and stuff like that. And and ultimately, that's what we all fell in love with was the, the classic stuff. You know, we just just loved it. Yeah, you could tell. I mean, you guys have a real traditional tone, you know, not in a um, not in a uh fake sort of way you know what i mean it just seems naturally it seems current and old school at the same time it sounds ridiculous saying it out loud but whenever i listen to you guys it just gives you me that i mean it just gives you that great vibe of just you know that these songs could have been written you know 70 years ago and still would resonate just like they do now call up the captain tell him i ain't coming in he can dig his own coal something else is happening this living that I'm making is doing a sin It's broken the lives of too many good men Been hauling coal since I was big enough to fight Some 30-odd shifts without a glimpse of daylight The corporation likes to say that everything's alright Well, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I, there's something to be said about listening to something that's you know, feels like it was written recently but yet feels like it was written so long ago and I, I don't think that's an easy thing to accomplish and you guys do it really really well oh thanks yeah, yeah you know we i think it's because we spent so much time trying to learn the traditional style when we really when we really got into it you know we the band started in chapel hill um graham and woody and charles our original bass player all went to university of north carolina i was in school in, at unc Asheville at the time um, and then we had a different fiddle player than Nikki. We had a, a gal named uh, Elizabeth uh, Bonson um, who was um, going to chapel with those guys at the time as well. Um, but we, when we, when we graduated from college, you know, nobody really had a plan of like, what's, what are you going to do now that you've graduated from college and everybody has these degrees and <laughs> something and, you know, well, this band thing's going pretty good. All right, let's do that. So we, we all ended up moving into a house together in Asheville and we just like went to bluegrass school, man. I mean, we, we, we all lived together. We had, I remember there was a record player station with all these old bluegrass records set up in the corner of the living room and a chair and, and, and everybody would just, you'd wake up in the morning, everybody would be in their room practicing their instrument. 
and somebody would be out at the record player listening to, you know, Graham might be listening to Earl Scruggs and trying to figure out how to play, you know, one of Earl's uh, instrumentals or something. And mm-hmm. you know, everybody was just working on the the classic bluegrass stuff and, and really trying to learn it. And we would, at the same time, we we were rehearsing for our shows and trying to write our own music that sounded like that, that classic bluegrass. And that's definitely the sound we were going for for many years. And we've, we've definitely gotten away from that in recent, in recent years, but that we, we were trying for that traditional thing there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked. That's so how does, how does going about somebody who's a, you know, necessary, you know, focused on classical and jazz guitar and picked up a mandolin and then was turned on to, you know, like Manzanita, new grass revival and, and, you know, it's seldom seen, although, you know, John Duffy, I don't think it's enough credit. I, you know, uh, not as many people seem to mention him, but I think everybody knows him. But how do you, as a mandolin player, dive back? What's your approach in trying to find that old school sound for you? Um, well, I think um, I was just at a point where I was, I, I wanted music to be fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted it to be, um, you know, I liked the the folk music element of bluegrass and um, the fact that you would just go to um, a jam session and everybody was so nice and welcoming. Yeah, get your instrument out and play with us. And it's okay if you don't know it, you know, just play along. And, and, and everybody was so encouraging and um, trying to, trying to help each other. And you could, you could go, you know, ask some, a mandolin players or whatever that was better than you and say, Hey, how do you do that? And they'd Oh yeah, it's just like this and, and show you something. And I just thought that was really cool. You didn't get a lot of that in the, in the, classical and jazz world as much as far as when you're in the school like you it just it's a different kind of community you know um and i'm not saying that that it's not like that in those in those genres but it's just a different it's it's not folk music you know it's a little bit different it's a more studied approach and more academic i guess you would say and and um whereas and i felt like it's in the bluegrass world everybody was trying to help everybody get better like always and i thought that was really cool and um and 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 then i started to realize that music is just music it doesn't matter what instrument you're playing um you know notes are notes and you just figure out those things that you've learned on the guitar work on the mandolin you know and so you know i used to teach um guitar and mandolin lessons for years when i was out of college and you know, I'd always tell my mandolin students and my guitar students, you know, well, your technique for the guitar will work for the mandolin and vice versa. And, you know, it doesn't have to be it does, like if you play both, it doesn't have to be so different. You can figure out a way to do your right hand or your left hand that that works for both. And um, and even like the saxophone, you know, one of the things that I loved about the mandolin being a saxophone player when I was playing guitar, you know, you can't you can't really play whole notes or, or two whole notes together. Right. On a mandolin, you can you can you could play with tremolo. You could play, you know, as long as you wanted to, and even longer than a than a wind player because you don't run out of breath. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know? so the, the the thing that that I was the most drawn to about the mandolin was the tremolo. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and it's still the thing that I'm a most um, attracted to about the mandolin, and the thing that that I love the most about the way the mandolin sounds is definitely the tremolo. And you really do a great job with it. I, I love your playing. And it sounds like, uh, do you play a lot of downstrokes as well when you're not doing tremolo? A- absolutely. No, that was the that was the other thing that I was really drawn to. I remember um, being at this jam session in Asheville 
and uh, playing with a couple different guys. And one of them was another mandolin player. And he was a mandolin player that was studying with Mike Compton. Oh, wow. In, in Atlanta. And I had never, I'd heard Bill Monroe and I, I was really, I'd been playing the mandolin for a year or less and I'd heard Bill Monroe and, 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 but I'd never seen anybody do that live right in front of me, like play that way with those fast downstrokes, bluesy, aggressive downstrokes. And, and this guy, cause he'd been studying with Mike was really good at it. And I was just floored. I was <laughs> like, man, that is, that is the coolest thing. I want to be able to do that. I'm like, how do you do that? He's like, you just do it. You just don't play up and down, up and down, up and down, go down, 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 down. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh, wow. And so that, that's definitely been a big part of my playing tremolo mm -hmm. and downstrokes. But I feel like that's kind of the, the older bluegrass style. In general, I feel like, you know, um, obviously that's what Bill Monroe did, but all the old, older mandolin, bluegrass mandolin players were kind of did that thing, kind of trying to sound like Bill Monroe and even Sam, Sam Bush and David Grisman, you know, they wouldn't sound the way they do if they weren't trying to kind of get that Bill Monroe sound with the downstrokes and the, and the tremolo and stuff like that. I loved that those guys, um, Dog and Sam's tremolo so much i mean that that was one of the things that really stood out to me about their playing and then ronnie mccurry listening to the del mccurry band that was one of the first bluegrass bands that i got into and and i, I realized that i was always attracted to 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 the, his style of bluegrass and i was hearing all these other bluegrass players mandolin players but i was like man i really like what he's doing and and it really that's what was speaking to me and i began to realize it was because he was playing that monroe style a lot of a lot of fast downstrokes and i was just into that i just feel like that has so much emotion and so much feeling and it's just a it's a powerful statement and uh it was funny like playing in jam sessions you know for years after when i was really getting into it and digging into that monroe stuff and i would be playing with these mandolin players that could play a million notes and were so amazing and i was just so like man how do they do that and then I would play a break and I would do this downstroke thing and they were just floored. Like, how do you do that? I don't understand how you do that. And I'm like, isn't that, isn't that funny, right? Yeah. It's that, I think a lot of it is that weird, I don't want to say weird, but I think you can definitely, listening to stuff, you can tell people who maybe started at Thiele, which a lot of people started at Thiele and some people listened to Thiele forward and some people listened to Thiele and went back. And I think you can tell by listening to the players which camp they kind of fall into. And I think there's great things about both of them. But for me, like you said, there's something about that downstroke. There's just like this heart and soul into it that you don't get unless you go back further and listen to you know Bill Monroe, really. I mean, this is where you kind of have to go to, I think, to get it. Absolutely. Well, what's cool about, about Chris and, and, and I'm lucky cause I've, I've played now played with all of these heroes of mine now many times and they're my friends now. And the, the cool thing about Chris is that he, he can play like that. I don't know if people, I don't know if a lot of mental players know that um, because he doesn't do it a lot on stage, but I mean, anytime I've talked to him and, and asked him things, I mean, he's, he's just an amazing amazing musician and his i can't say how enough how how amazing he is as a mandolin player it's just amazing so anytime i'm around him of course i want to ask him questions and <laughs> yeah. get his advice on things you know and he's so nice and so approachable and he's always willing to 
to answer questions and he's, he's so gracious, but, um, he, I would show him, ask him things and, and he would play like Bill Monroe style stuff, downstroke stuff. And it was, he would turn the pick flat and, you know, and he could play just like anybody you wanted him to play like he could do it. Yeah. He's, he's like one of those cats that he's got that he can, he's like, like Stefan Grappelli. Um, who could play just the most blazing speeds and never lose swing or feel. And that's the way right. I feel about Thiele's playing. He's got like this crazy good, but you know, he went back, he went back and did like all that. He listened to all those guys, you know, and I, and like you said, I don't think people maybe necessarily realize that. And so they kind of look at that and just jump forward and move ahead with it. And, you know, well, I think the same, I think the same thing was happening when I, you know, I was learning how to play the mandolin in the late nineties people were listening to Grisman and, and Sam Bush. And I don't think they realized that those guys had studied Monroe so much and they couldn't figure out why they couldn't play like David Grisman or, or <laughs> Sam Bush. And it's, it's like, because you, you, those guys were trying to play like Bill Monroe, right? but they were just, they just put their own stamp on it and their own, you know, expression. And, and, uh, and when I realized that, that, that it was, Oh, it's Bill Monroe is the thing that they're all, you know, Cause you go to these workshops, you know, like you play at a festival and you'd see these guys do these mandolin workshops and they would all talk about Bill Monroe. You know, that's where it all went back to, of course. Yeah. I have a great bootleg of, um, Sam and David doing a workshop together that somebody recorded back in like the eighties, um, late eighties, early nineties or something. And they both like do these like tremolo exam, you know, people are asking questions and they, they both go on this talk about tremolo for like 15 minutes. And it's just, it, you're like, man. <laughs> this is so yeah. amazing and, and the difference in the two, you know, it's really true. I mean, it, the, the, they have two different kind of ways of doing it, but it, but it's just, it's amazing. Both those guys have amazing tremolos and I just was really attracted to that early on as a mandolin player for sure. What, um, was there like a particular Bill Monroe song that you really, really worked towards or was there anything that you were you know thought were great examples that helped you because you do a great job with your tremolo and double stops and that vibe of uh, playing and i think it would be great for people to hear maybe where you you know took those examples from if they wanted to go back and dig like that well it's funny you know i i don't feel like i do my tremolo as much like a bluegrass mandolin player i feel like i do my tremolo more like an italian more of an Italian style mandolin player. I actually have that written down <laughs> to, to oh, really? ask you about okay. that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I tend to think my, this is just my opinion. I tend mm -hmm. to feel like the bluegrass players for me, sometimes their tremolos are too slow. Um, and I'm talking about like, you know, when you're playing, like if you're playing a waltz or something, a slow tune, Sure. I like a, I, I just personally like a faster tremolo, which is more like the, italian style mm -hmm. it's a little quicker and I, I, when I sometimes when i hear bluegrass mandolin players do it it's a little bit slower you know it's just a slower tremolo and 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 i also like for it to like you know start slow and get fast and then maybe go slower again you know it can it it, it doesn't have to be so static and I feel like a lot of players it's real static you know you can start it flat and then you can bring in the the, vibrato, the vibrato or the tremolo and then you can speed it up and you can slow it down and it's just it can be so expressive and it's so cool it's so fun yeah um to to mess with that and and i actually learned tremolo the tune that i remember 
was like, I'm going to learn how to play this because I want to learn how to play tremolo was I'm listening to Carlo Onzo, the Italian mandolin player on, on the Traversata record that David Grisman um, did with he and Beppe Gambetta. O mio babino caro was the name of the tune on the Traversata record. It's a Puccini opera, and um, and it's the mandolin's kind of mimicking the 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 singer, and uh, it's just gorgeous. And I just loved the tremolo on that. And I, I kind of, you know, I think the best way to to practice tremolo and people, you know, ask you, you know, how do you how do you work on it or practice it? I guess. And I just say, listen to people's tremolo that you like, and just try to match it you know, match the speed, match the tone, um, as close as you can. And so I did that. I did that with, um, actually that whole record, not just that tune, but I remember that tune was a little bit easier in the left hand cause it's, it's real slow and it's in G major. Um, so it was really easy to grasp what was going on in the left hand and I could just focus on the, on the right hand on the tremolo. How do you, when you still go- work, still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's what makes you that's why you, I think that's why people like you find success. I've done all these interviews, you know, I interviewed Mike Marshall and John Reichman over the last two episodes and oh, wow. nobody's resting on their laurels. Like John Reichman's like, yeah, I just still need, feel like I need to work on my little finger. You know what I mean? Like that's what, yeah. just, <laughs> you know, that it's a never ending thing. And, and that's why I think people like you and, and those guys who are out there doing it successfully, that's why, because you are still working at it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied or feel like it's, you know, the work is done ever. And, and I, I suffer from the case of if I, I, it's like hearing your voice on a tape recorder, you don't want to hear it. I feel like I don't ever want to hear my mandolin recorded back (laughs) at me. I'm always like terrified (laughs) of what I'm going to hear. Oh no. Yeah. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's better than I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it sounds great. And um, what we're talking about, I guess, tone and sounds. What? Do you, let's talk a little bit about your gear because you have a couple, couple nice mandolins. Yeah. So um, I, I was lucky enough um, almost ten years ago. Steve Martin, who we've been working f- with now for over ten years, he bought a lore. He bought a July 9, nineteen twenty three. Gibson F5, and uh, I remember we we went to place shows with him in New York, and he we were at his house, and he uh, he said, "Hey, guess what? I bought a lore," and I was like, "Wow, that's awesome!" <laughs> and he he does he doesn't play the mandolin at all. Oh wow! Um, he's he's got a great banjo collection. Oh, I bet <laughs> um, lots of old banjos, you know, really cool. But um, he doesn't play the mandolin, but he bought a lore, and he was like, "Yeah, I bought it." I was like, "Awesome!" He's like, "You want to play it?" And I was like. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to check it out. Yeah. yeah, he's like, no. He's like, no. Do you want to play it? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to play it. Thank you. And he's wow. like, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. He's like, do you want to take this mandolin and play it like it's your own for as long as you want? And I was like, what? Really? Like, is this a joke? Am I? Is this? Am I, you know, like, what's happening here? And so I've had it. I've had it now for almost ten years. 
and uh, it's a really great lore. Um, it's I think it's five serial numbers off Bill Monroe's. Wow. Um, it's a really even lore, um, and which I like for for what I do. It's not too it's not too bassy, and it's um, the high ends like really scream, but they're not shrill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the A string just is is kind of like butter. Um, it's a great it's a great instrument. Now, unfortunately. The Rangers in the last two years, um, we're using a full drum kit now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the and the songwriting's evolving, and we're not doing so much sort of traditional bluegrass sounding stuff. And I just can't play the lore on stage with the Rangers anymore. It just doesn't work. It's just not loud enough with the microphone. Sure. I was doing a, I was doing the the lore with. Um, with a DPA on it for, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, so I'm now on stage, my main instruments are my Kimball mandolin and my Kimball mandola. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And I'm actually doing the mandola a lot, a lot these days, which has been really fun. Um, these last couple records. Um, yeah, you can definitely notice it on the last couple of records. It's, this sounds phenomenal. Well, it's cool because, um, since we've added the drums and, and now that Mike's playing a full drum kit, I mean, I don't have to chop, you know, and, and when you're playing songs that aren't two beat bluegrass songs, um, you don't need that backbeat, you know, so I can play more open chord stuff or just mm-hmm. melodic stuff. And the mandola is great for that. And it kind of, it kind of fills in the space, especially with the capo. I've been experimenting with some, some capo two and three stuff playing out of like E and F and B flat like that. And, um, it kind of sits somewhere between the guitar and the bass and the, you know, it's not when you're playing the mandolin, you're right in the same register as the fiddle, of course. And then sometimes the banjo too. And it kind of, it kind of sits more in the guitar range, but just maybe a little bit above that, not quite into the, to the fiddle. And uh, so it's cool. It kind of occupies its own space in the sound spectrum, which is, it's been kind of cool working that in with the band. It's cool to hear that when you take solos, especially on it too, in the last, on the last couple albums, it's got, you know, I mean, obviously you could tell it's a, you know, uh, double unison tone, but it just sounds different enough to really catch your ear. And you're like, Oh man, now I need a mandola. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're just so cool yeah. sounding. That's really cool. And Will Kimball makes great mandolas. Um, I, I really like his, I mean, I love my mandolin too, but in the mandola, this is a, I believe it's 2014 is when I got this one. Um, it's a two point mandola. Um, and I actually just saw, you mentioned Mike Marshall a minute ago. I mm-hmm. just ran into Mike up in at Freshgrass in September and he was playing, playing the mandola. And it was really cool to hear Mike play it. Cause he's so, he's so good. And he's so used to playing that instrument and the different mandolin family instruments. And, uh, he, he really liked it. And, had a lot of good things to say about it. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, Steve Martin writes all these great tunes on his records that are in like a drop C, like an open C tuning on the banjo. And, you know, that low C on the banjo is the same low C on the mandola. And so the, the melodies, so basically you're playing out of what we would think of as G shape on the mandolin, Mm -hmm. you know, to, on the mandola now you're in c when you do that of course and and so it just the melodies lay out so well 
for his tunes that he writes in C and he writes a lot of them in C. He just loves that tuning. Um, so I've been, that's when I really started incorporating the mandola into the, into the music more. When, when you write tunes with steep Canyon Rangers and when you write tunes with Steve Martin, is it still the same approach for you or is it, or is it different because of the way Steve writes songs and the guys in your band write songs? Um, they're, they're definitely different kinds of songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Steve, Steve is such a, <laughs> he's so unique and he has such a interesting sense of humor, you know, some, 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 a lot, a lot of, a lot of his songs are, are, are funny songs that aren't songs that, you know, Graham would write. Um, but, but a lot of his instrumentals are very serious and very emotional. Um, he writes very emotional tunes, uh, instrumental tunes on the banjo. He, he's a great claw hammer player, plays just as much claw hammer as he does three finger, which I think is pretty unique for a banjo player. Really unique. Um, I've, ne- I've never seen a banjo player that can play claw hammer and three finger equally well like he does and it's really cool um so he writes these really emotional claw hammer tunes and um it, it's just they're so cool and again that's why I, I, i've been using the mandola with those things but mm-hmm. but the, but the approach is the same um for me as a mandolin player um and a singer um the approach is the same it's it's somebody else <laughs> in the band writing the tune and um, both Steve and Graham are so gracious about, you know, everyone contributing to the song and giving their opinion. And it's, it's a democracy, even with Steve, it's a democracy. Like, you know, Steve doesn't, I mean, Steve could come in and say, no, I wanted to sound like this and you need to do that, do that. He doesn't do that at all. You know, he listens to what we say and we arrange the tunes together with Steve, just like we do with the Rangers. Um, How you know, cool just is as that? A group. <laughs> yeah. And, and so inevitably we change, we change lyrics, we change chords, we, you know, add, add bridges and place, you know, things, key changes, modulations, whatever. And, and those guys are always open to it. So it's, it's definitely a collective process in both groups. Wow. Cool. How did you meet Steve? How did that come about? Cause you guys have been playing a while before you had met yeah, we. I mean, I guess we'd been a band almost ten years by the time we had met him, which was about ten years ago now. Um, we knew his wife before they had even met. You know, she his wife is more our age than his age, mm-hmm. and she was a friend of ours, and she lives in New York City. And when we would, she would often vacation in North Carolina with her family in Brevard, where where I live, and um, she knew Woody's um, older brother, and. Uh, but she lived in New York and eventually she was dating Steve Martin. And we were like, wow, that's cool. That's great. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, you should, uh, you guys should get together and play sometime. You know, he plays the banjo. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I grew up watching the Muppet show. And I remember Steve playing banjo on the Muppet show, <laughs> yeah. you know, many times. And I've seen some of his stand up stuff where he's playing the banjo and, you know, we'd love to do that. And so she brought him down to North Carolina on a vacation. Um, and and Woody and I went over to the to the house and picked with him and it was great and he was really nice and it was a lot of fun and he uh, had just finished recording the Crow his album the Crow mm, yeah and and his his manager told him that he could either hire a band to go on tour with or a bunch of individual 
you know, musicians from Nashville or something. He could get whoever to play with him. And uh, we asked him to sit in on our show. We were playing in New York City not long after that. And we asked him to sit, come in and play a tune with us. And he said, well, I only play my own tunes, really. And we were like, cool, we'll learn one. So we learned The Crow, the title track. Um, and and we he played it on our set and it went great. And after the set, he said, that song has never sounded better. Wow. And we were like, cool, thanks. And we worked really hard to try to get it exactly right. And just like the record and, you know, and we worked really hard on it. And he called us like a couple of weeks later and said, I'd like for you guys to be my band to go on tour. And we've been doing that for 10 years now. <laughs> <laughs> we're about to, we're about to go to Australia with, with him next week for a couple of weeks to tour in Australia. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Man, you guys, that's so cool. What a great story. And it sounds like he's such a genuinely nice person. That's uh, that's great to hear as well. He is, and he, you know, he's really gotten to know um, people in the bluegrass world through the banjo and, and 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 all the banjo players, you know, that we that we all know being in the bluegrass world that we see at festivals or at IBMA, those are all Steve's heroes. Like he loves those guys, you know, and and um, he he really looks up to them and um, and of course he's been doing this Steve Martin banjo award now for the last few years. And, uh, that's been really great for, for some of these banjo players, I think. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a really, he's been a great, great, um, thing for the Rangers, you know, has really helped us get our name out there, of course, and mm -hmm. put us, put us on some of the biggest stages in, in the country and, and otherwise. And, uh, we're really thankful and feel really blessed to have that opportunity. Well, that's great. And, but you guys are a great band too. So it's, you know, it's well-deserved. I mean, what a, what a great break for a band that's worked as hard as you had. And you had won a Grammy, you'd won a Grammy prior to playing with Steve Martin, didn't you? Well, no, we, so <laughs> we, um, we got nominated for a Grammy, um, with Steve okay. for the Rare Bird Alert record. Yes. And, and we lost you know, but we got nominated, which was cool. And we went to the Grammys and we did the whole thing and did, you know, the whole Grammy thing with Steve. And that was really fun. But we lost, of course, because Alison Krauss released a record that same year. <laughs> and she doesn't, when Alison Krauss releases a record, she doesn't lose. And I think she's won more, more I think she's won more Grammys than anybody. Yeah, I, I believe that is correct. <laughs> and, and so, of course, we, we lost. Um, and that was fine, but it, it was still fun. And we thought, well, cool, that's great. We had this Grammy experience. And then, the next year, our record "Nobody Knows You" was nominated, and it won. <laughs> that's okay. So one, that's right. It was one year after then. So you were nominated yeah. before with Steve Martin, then you won the next year. Yeah, but with which, your which, album, with your, our album, yeah, which, which is which in some ways is it's kind of better. I'm kind of glad we lost the year before. Sure, and that we won because we probably wouldn't have won two years in a row, even though it was a different record. Right. You know, I I just I don't think that it would have worked out that way. So we were kind of it was kind of one of those blessings in disguise kind of things that we lost because i feel like it allowed our record to win next year which is kind of cooler to say that we have a grammy with just the rangers and yeah no, that's great well steve, I'd, you know? yeah well i'd read it and got it backwards i thought you'd won it before steve anyway so i was like yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's cool did you go to that grammys where you won as well yeah we did yes we did yeah and that's that's a really cool experience i mean it's you know it's 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 a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of hoopla um and a lot of you know it's like so many pop you know artists and stuff it's really fun to go to the 
to the the late show and and see all that stuff because I would never go see some of these artists live or get the opportunity to go see you know I don't I don't can't even remember who it was but it was the 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 show like the production is amazing and it's huge and it's just you can't believe it and you just it's just kind of funny to be there as this like bluegrass mandolin player at the Grammys <laughs> you're like what and then you, you see what's going up on stage and there's like fireworks and lasers and you smoke and pythons what's what's going on here i did i do remember i do remember seeing adele sing a song and you know we had seen all these artists get up there with like all this stuff you know all this show going Mm -hmm. on and then adele got up there in a black dress with a piano player and sang a song with a piano and brought the house down wow and I've got chill bumps right now thinking about it. It was the most amazing vocal performance I've ever seen. It was awesome. It was so cool. So cool. I'm glad you got to experience all of it. That's great. That's a, you know, I think you got to (laughs) go. Yeah. Well, I think you got to go if you think there's a chance you might win, especially, you know, it'd be kind of awkward to, uh, to get up there and and they say your name and you're not there. You know, when you, if (laughs) I, I can understand if people can't make it for whatever circumstances, but we were, we were able to make it so we should definitely go and and we got lucky and we won you know it was really cool and we we got to win right we won right after bonnie Raitt, and so we got to be backstage and talk to bonnie Raitt. It was, oh it was, wow uh, really cool that's awesome so if you had to pick some tunes from your catalogs can you guys have a lot of albums and a couple tunes that you would think really feature um some of your playing i mean knob creek 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 obviously is is one of them great i would say a signature song that features you prominently as you wrote it um but what are some other ones that you would pick if you wanted to turn somebody onto your playing if they weren't familiar with you that really capture you um looking glass off of radio Graveyard Fields off of Tell the Ones I Love. Yeah, great one. Or even Kirkendall that's on, um, I think, Love and Pretty Women. I think that's what that's on. Yes, I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I was hoping you were going to say it.
Well, it's probably it's probably supposed to be pronounced a different way, but that's all those places. All those places. All those names come from places around where I live in Brevard, mm-hmm. and and it's probably pronounced Kikendall or something. But all the looks <laughs> like Kirkendall. You know? <laughs> Perfect. So. Uh, I also like your playing on uh, "Best of Me." off of uh, this new oh, album. I think it's yeah. really, I think it's got a really cool thing and it goes into a little bit of a grismity sort of feel at one point. I think a lot of your, it sounds yep. like a lot of influences came out in that solo. It's a great feeling solo. appreciate it yeah i mean that i was just saying to woody actually the other day that that song um that i love playing that song live still mm-hmm. off of that record that's one that we've been putting back in the show it kind of, we kind of took a break from it for a while but we've been playing it again i think it's even on the set list tonight oh and, awesome uh, yeah that's a good one yeah yeah that's a, um when you go about the solos how much do you do a lot of composing the solo ahead of time is it kind of already in stone for you when you go into the studio you know, that record was different than a lot of our other records in that. that um, and we're talking about Out in the Open. Yes. Um, it, it was cut completely live. Oh, so was we it really? Were, yeah. Wow. So there's no overdubs. Not even the vo- all the vocals are live. Everything's live. We were in a circle in one room with no separation whatsoever, looking at each other playing the songs that makes sense because the the way the uh before the solo and after the solo kind of the way the fiddle i believe kind of the way they cross i was like wow it's really cool how they mixed that that would yeah. <laughs> that would that would explain why yeah because he was in my mic practically. <laughs> you know there was a lot of bleed yeah you know? oh, yeah it's really neat which was fun because you know it i mean it does it creates a certain type of sound um, which is, which is cool. You know, it gives it a good energy and a good vibe, but you, you can't like, if you, if you make a mistake, you, you, it would make everybody have to redo the whole track. So it kind of, it kind of puts the onus on you to be ready and like, don't, don't mess it up, man. Like, you know, we're all, <laughs> you know, which was, which is a good kind of pressure. It was a positive, but everybody was so cool. And like, you know, we, a couple of the other times we would, you know, well, so that didn't sound so good. So we redo it, but everybody was so cool about it. And, um, I don't think we did any of the tunes more than, you know, two or three, four times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was great. It was a great experience. And that was all Joe Henry was the producer of that record. And that was really Joe's, uh, philosophy. And he was pretty much like, there's no, I'm not going to do it any other way. Like if I'm going to produce your record, this is how I want you to do it. And he did the Carolina chocolate drops record, of course. Yeah. Um, did, did the same thing with them, and, and those records are fantastic. And, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's cool. It, it has a has a cool energy. So I I did try to be a little bit more prepared on that record with <laughs> what I was going to do, since I knew that I wouldn't be able to go overdub anything or fix anything. I was, you know, I kind of I kind of wanted a, a framework, but but I bet if you go back and listen to like the, the outtakes that didn't get used, you would hear, you know, different things for sure, and. Um, I'd be interested to hear those now. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, so so the uh, the last two questions, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you've got a gig today, and I really appreciate yeah, you taking sure. the time. Uh, one yeah, of the no questions, problem. one of the questions I do like to ask, and it seems to be the most popular one on the podcast, though, is if you had ten minutes today to pick up your mandolin, uh, what would you work on? Well, I, I guess I'd say for me, it would be tremolo. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, that to me, that's why I play the mandolin. That's the thing that I love about the mandolin. It's the quintessential mandolin sound to me. Um, and so, and I feel like it can never, you can never not <laughs> work on it. Sure. It can always sound a little sweeter and a little smoother. And um, so, yeah, so I'll, if I'm just picking it up and I've just got a few minutes or something, I'd, I probably would, would, would just do play, either play a tune with tremolo or I would, uh, you know, play some double stops or something like that. I I wrote a tune, I wrote sort of an Italian folk song type waltz, uh, recently in D and it's all double stops the entire time. Oh, cool. Um, and I'll, so I'll work on that a lot lately because it's a, not only is it, you know, pretty melody, but it's a good exercise for, uh, for double stops and tremolo, um, for sure. So that's probably what I would do. Cool. Tremolo. Is that going to be on the new album coming out? Well, no, because you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't tend to let the Italian stuff kind of creep into the Steve Canyon Rangers thing too much. It, I'll let it, I'll let it creep in and, and some, you know, when we're live and, and maybe I'll, in Knob Creek or something, it's in G minor and it kind of lends itself to, some Italian sounding things, but I kind of, I kind of keep it separated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, but I do, I would like to one day. So Barrett Smith that plays bass in the Rangers now mm-hmm. is the guitar player that I play Italian folk music with. And so we have a, so we have a duo and we do that and we play around Asheville and Brevard. And um, we're actually doing a concert in Brevard in December with Carlo Onzo. He's oh, going to be a guest artist. When is, gonna, when is that? That is December 16th. I believe that's a Monday. It is a December, Monday. And it's at the Brevard College at the Porter Center, which is the big performing arts center um, in, in at Brevard College. Um, but I'm hoping one day Barrett and I will, when we're not putting out <laughs> so many records with the Rangers, we can have time to record uh, an Italian record. Because I've been writing music in that style and um, and then, of course, learning a lot of the old the old repertoire as well. Yeah. Um, we, we would like to do that, but we've, it's one of those things we feel like we'll be doing it until the day we die. So. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully that's not tomorrow. So we, uh, we, uh, you know, we feel like we'll, we'll get around to it eventually, but um, for now we just play it live and, and are constantly learning new tunes. It's so fun. That's great. And then uh, it is mandolins and beer. So I don't know if you're a beer drinker at all, but um, you know, as you said, Asheville's got a lot of great beer. Do you have a, a favorite beer? Man, I tell you, uh, as we're recording this, it's what is it, November first today? Yes. yes. And so we just got through Oktoberfest season. <laughs> yeah. And man, I was just really in love with the Oktoberfest this year, uh, kind of in September and October. And Highland Brewer Brewing Company in in Asheville mm-hmm. had a great Oktoberfest. Sierra Nevada, which is now located in in Asheville and Mills River, um, had a great Oktoberfest. Um, so I really like those, but I mean, Asheville is, it's kind of ridiculous how many breweries there are now. I actually cannot even keep up with all the breweries. I can't, like, I, I don't even know. Somebody will tell me, Hey, you tried the blah, blah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I didn't even know that. 
never even heard of that place. There's a place um, open three miles from my house. Charleston's got a ton as well. And I didn't know it was, it'd been open for like three months. And I, I, I have a thing called mandolins and beer. You think I would know? And there's just, yeah. I just I had no idea. <laughs> you know, I should, I, I would say um, living in Brevard, you know, Oscar Blues Brewing Brewery opened up in Brevard now, their East Coast brewery. And, um, and the band has worked with Oscar Blues um, for the last couple of years through their Candate Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that, you know, helps with a lot of different things like giving instruments to kids that are in need. And I mean, they did canned water up in Flint, Michigan, when that whole mess was going on up there. And so Oscar Blues has definitely been uh, near and dear to us for sure these past few years. And that I, we, we go down to the brewery often in Brevard, you know, it's very family friendly and cool. Um, they have music down there all the time and, uh, and it's great. Um, so definitely. And then the Brevard Brewing Company in downtown Brevard is actually, I don't know if you ever get through there, but you should check that out. They have the best Pilsner I've ever had. At really? The Brevard Brewing Company. Yes. Oh man. Well, I have to know, you have to let me know, um, I like you have time to do this, <laughs> but like, I would love to know if you guys are doing a, a duo gig anytime because um, it is only just a couple hour drive from here and I would absolutely shoot up there to see that if I had an open evening because I would love yeah, to man. see you do that Italian music, man. That would be cool. Yeah, you should. I'd, I'd be glad to let you know when that's happening. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to touch base on that. That'd be great. Well, yeah, man, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it and taking the time, uh, you know, under a stage <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> to, to do it and yeah, talk mandolin. Hopefully the banging and the, the banjo playing in the background is too loud. <laughs> Not at all, man. <laughs> man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to do it. All right, episode number 15 in the books. Thank you so much to Mike Ugino for taking the time to do this podcast. Be sure to go to Steep Candy Rangers' website and uh, check out them on tour, buy some of their merch. Uh, do whatever you can to help support those bands out there doing this for a living. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Cheers. Be sure to go to mandolinsandbeer.com and get yourselves one of the new hats. And uh, we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>